Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. Isn't it amazing? Uh, there's perhaps no greater moment in our life than to discover again that God knows, not only knows exactly where you are, but listen, but he comes to find you there. Uh, and here's the other thing I need to say. Um, I'm good, son. Leo. I wish this morning, I wish this morning I wasn't this far away from you. I wish this morning that I was, that we were gathered around just a place to worship and a place to an encounter because I think it's a representative sort of microcosm of what we do when we do gather in the room, but the rooms and the things for years, I've said that through nearly 40 years of ministry, that the rooms and the places we gather seem to to create something that's sort of inconsistent with the encounter. Please hear me. Worship is just this amazingly intimate encounter. It's always that, no matter how worship happens. It is that. I came this morning because to share a testimony and to share my heart with you, and it really comes from this. On Tuesday afternoon for about three or four hours, I had the opportunity to experience one of the most precious uh, personal prayer times. It's not the only one I've experienced, uh, like many of you here, if not everyone here at some point, you have those sort of subjective dynamic encounters with God. And it was one of those. And um, it, as I've described it, it's one of those um, pray, worship, think, sing, slobber cry. Slobber cry is all one word. Okay. Slobber cry. That's, you can take that one home and write it down. It's a new word for you. Um, slobber cry times with God. Now, I've got about five things that I want to sort of nurture at one moment because there's, uh, there's a sense in which what I may offer you could be marginalized because the interpretation or the perspective from your side of the equation is, okay, well, the dude's in, in this weird moment, a lot of pain in his body, going to the doctor, this thing found him that he didn't see coming. How many know that those come regularly, that we, the things we don't see coming suddenly find us and, wow, I didn't see it coming. And, but the good news is, is God also has a counterbalance because he shows up and we often don't see him coming either. And, and that is sort of the, the testimony and the declaration that happened um, on Tuesday. Now, I want to take you back to something from uh, several weeks ago, if not a couple months ago. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn in John 9. Where I, I'm not going to read, I'm going to reference the verses because it's such a lengthy passage of about 35 verses. I don't need to read them all, but you need to read them when you go home. You need to read the chapter. And I, I want to share something and then share some points and, and, and principles that just seem to explode on me this week. And then to see if we can minister that that grace. Here's where I want to start, and I've shared this with you before. Worship is the conversation the human soul is dying to have. I want to say that again. Worship is the conversation the human soul is dying to have. I'm going to say that again. Worship is the conversation. Now, see, the words sound sort of maybe not counterintuitive, uh, you can leave that up there for just a couple, several minutes, if you would, Amanda. Thank you on the screen. Worship is the conversation the human soul is dying to have. Now, let me give you a backdrop. In Genesis chapter 3, 
mankind was created and put into a garden and God would meet with them daily. He came to walk with them and talk with them. Walk with them and talk with them. Uh, on a daily basis to interact with them. It was that exchange that consummated God's idea of worship. Please, let me, as uh, Pastor Steve made fun of me last week, um, which I, I enjoy, I think we, that's part of our, our reciprocal entertainment in the world is uh, to do that to each other. But, you know, watch the preacher, look this way, blah, blah, blah. It's important. Worship, worship from the time we're born into this world, there is a God that is talking, reaching, probing like a spiritual sonar pinging off your soul, reaching and talking. Worship happens when we respond to that. Worship is that two-way exchange where we finally hear it, receive it, respond to it. Now, What we learn here is worship is the shaping of our worth. That's what the word worth shaping. How do we do that? We, we come, we, God and his word, we take it and say this, Lord, you are the final voice on who and what I will be. Okay. I've got to be real careful here because when Tom has 14 days stuck alone, thinking, praying, nothing else to do. The 15th day is guaranteed to be danger if it's here. <clears throat> so I, I really worked. I prayed over and over this morning. Lord, help me strip away. You know, I don't need to say everything. So I'm really working to, to not do that. But I need to make this statement because being parked in a place and stuck... I've gotten involved in, a, in, in some forums that I administrate that have two or 3,000 pastors and an exchange. I believe passionately Jesus is the answer. I don't believe that from a simplistic whatever. I believe, as, as Paul said, after you examine what the world has to offer, what the world forces and voices have to offer, The reasonable action of worship is to bring my body as a living sacrifice. We're engaged at a time, in a time, and on the face of the earth and in culture, when like no other time, the world, please hear me, and culture seeks to inform humanity of what human wholeness is. Please hear me. In all of the amazing knowledge and enlightenment, the Bible says as that knowledge and enlightenment increases, as understanding of, of the, hu- the psychology, the mechanics of human psychology and human behavior. I mean, with, uh, knowledge is growing and growing and growing. And as it grows, please hear me. The pressure is we have the answer for what human wholeness looks like. But beloved, please hear me. The redeemed, fully liberated, fully emancipated life is found only at the hands of the Creator, from the lips of the Creator, and through the intention of the Creator. Where I will become most passionate is when the logic of the world would seek to come in and inform me what redemption looks like. I don't know if that means anything to you. 
Because here's the tragedy. The more and more that the church begins to concede or make concessions about what human wholeness is, that is from the voice of the world, listen to me. The more the world will tell us what redemption looks like. And why is that important? That is important. And I'm just going to cut to chase and you're going to say, well, you got something else going on there. I do. I believe sin is finding identity outside of God. I believe the goal of the adversary since the beginning has been to change both the definition of sin and the definition of redemption. Malachi talks about that to the point where good is evil and evil is good and we can't tell the difference. The moment people walk through the door and they are trapped in an identity of finding worth, whether that's drugs, addiction, anger, racism, sexuality, whatever it may be, the point at which we say, okay, the things that God's word says will destroy your soul, no longer destroy your soul. The moment at which we stop calling destruction, destruction, the moment at which we stop calling sin, sin, we no longer need a cross. The cross is rendered of no effect because the answer to humanity is the cross of Jesus Christ. The answer for humanity is that the Son of God came to conquer death, hell, and the grave, and sin. And if we are those who so marginalize it to say, you don't need to conquer it because this is okay, that's okay, just embrace it and just live with it, what we are unaware that we're doing is we are rendering the cross of no effect. And at that moment, I will rise with every bit of passion and fervor that I can bring and say, oh, no, 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 we can't do this. We can't do this. Now you say, Okay, what's this soapbox you're on? I'm I'm really, it's the rising voice of culture. The rising voice of culture. I'm not in a culture war. I'm not fighting against culture. I'm advancing the kingdom of God. That's all I do. Okay, forgive me. I got to get, I got to do better than I'm doing so far. I I prayed the prayer and, and then I'm not answering. So, Just look at the person next to you and say, he's going to stop on that for now. Okay, go ahead and tell him. John 9. John 9 is the story of a man that's blind from birth. When they first enter this story, verse 1 says, and he passed by as he, Jesus, passed by, saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples, walking with him, asked him and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? A few, a couple months ago when I talked, spoke on this, I, I explained that because that seems counterintuitive. How could he have done something wrong if he, was, um, if he was born that way? What could have he possibly done wrong? And it really goes back to a Jewish notion that, that, that has to do with uh, Jacob and Isaac and, and in the womb, one sought to grab the other and take the other's place. So there really is a basis for this question. I won't take time to unpack it or explore it. Jesus responds to it in simplicity, and he really says, it doesn't make any difference how the problem got here. What are you going to do to fix it? And then he makes some mud out of spittle and dirt, puts it on the guy's eye, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, what I want to point out is this blind man is now, you'll learn later in this passage when he's being questioned because he would be healed, 
And when he's being questioned, they call his parents in and say, tell us about this. He said, he's of age. The statement he's of age would mean that he's probably 25 to 30 years old in the ancient Near Eastern Jewish culture. He can answer for himself. So why is that important? You've got a guy that's 25 or 30 years old. He's been blind for 25 or 30 years. And at least since he was seven or eight years old, he's been sitting on the side of the road begging as he is doing on this day. He's been pushed out by culture and marginalized. Please hear me. He is only the object of a conversation. He's never involved in one. They stand and talk about him. Case in point is right here. They come walking in and Jesus' disciples look and say, hey, that guy over there, what's up with him? What's up with that? Jesus begins to answer. He puts mud on his eyes and tells him to go wash in the pool, and he did that. Now, when you enter verse 8, look there with me. When you get to verse 8, it says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, by the way, I skipped verse 7. You can see that. It says, He went and washed, and without any fanfare, it says, And he came back seeing. He suddenly could see. Okay, then verse 8, His neighbors began to question him. They interrogate him. Notice if you read this, and do read it when you go home, they never ask the real pertinent questions. And what I would like to to suggest to you, before going any farther, is that for these at least 20 of his years, I have no doubt of the daily thought was this. If I could just see, I would be included. If I could just see, I wouldn't live in rejection. If I could just see, I wouldn't be marginalized. If I could just see, like everybody else, nothing special. I wouldn't have to be an NBA star or be a, 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 a Hollywood actor or be the president of a country. If I could just see, I would be included in life. Suddenly he can see. First interrogation are by those who live closest to him in family. The second interrogation begins in verse 13 with the religious people. And it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. And they began to drill down on him, asking him all sorts of questions that he can't answer. They want to interrogate him about his faith, what they think about Jesus. Who is this rabbi that did it? How did he pull it off? And he says, I don't know. In verse 24 is the third interrogation. He gets brought to the synagogue, and the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give God, give glory to God. There's a great study there. And they begin to drill down on him again. They ask him question after question, drill down, every question just pounding down on him. What I noticed in reading through this is that he never gets asked the questions that matter. He never gets asked the questions about celebrating the reality that's before him that he can, in fact, now see. I'd like for you to just skip ahead quickly to verse verse 34. This is at the end of the exchange. The Jewish leaders and religious leaders are now frustrated with him. Listen, and in verse 34 it says, They answered him and said, You were born entirely in sins. Are you teaching us? You'd have to read the verses before it to get it. But, and so watch, watch those five words. So they put him out. At the end of his first full day of finally obtaining that which he had hoped for all his life, sight. That which he had been convinced would finally give him place and inclusion. Sight. He can see. 
Now I'll be like everybody else. Now I won't be on the side. But at the end of that first day, he has been besieged with nonstop questions, perhaps for as long as 10 hours or more, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, only to at the end of the day find himself put out one more time. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard they had put him out and came and found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then would you notice those four words there on the bottom of your screen? Would you, let's not have practice. I'm going to ask you to read those four words, and he worshiped him. I want you to read them with me right now, everyone aloud. And he worshiped him. Something hit me in reading through that just moved me so deeply. The Gospel of John uses the word worship 12 times. Ten of them are in chapter 4, which if you've been around New Hope any time, you know that's our handbook on worship. Ten times in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, the word worship is used and defined. It's the only place in the Bible where God in the flesh tells us what worship is. One other time is in chapter 12, and the only other time is right here in chapter 9. And it's the only time the Gospel of John says that, that anyone worshipped Jesus still be prior to the cross in the flesh. And Jesus received that. The only time. I find it fascinating because when Jesus finds him, and thus the title when I said, worship is the conversation. All day long, he had been besieged with, with questions. Okay, here's where I'm going to bring this to a close sufficiently. Everyone should be deeply impressed with how quickly I got off that other roller coaster I was on, if nothing else. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Everyone look this way. We are besieged with questions in life. They're nonstop. I have had the, the joy of accepting the sort of a primary responsibility of being the student pastor for the last 15 months, although that's a, a real cheat because the people that are doing it, um, uh, Jessica Sheely, Randy Sheely, uh, Pastor Matt, um, uh, Hans has been in there teaching, just a wonderful team interacting with our students, but I have absolutely loved the last 15 months. You want to know Why? Because these are the people that live in that window of life when every answer is allegedly being given them from every voice and culture and they are being drilled down on every day with every question. The questions that we live through and with in life is, who are you? Are you pretty? Are you cool? Are you gay? Are you straight? Are you successful? Are you wealthy? Are you poor? Are you popular? Do you have money? What kind of phone? Are you accepted? Are you smart? Are you stupid? Are you cosmetically attractive? Are you have the right hair color? Uh, do you have the right clothes? We are drilled down on this endless barrage of questions. And it doesn't stop at adolescence. It stops, it continues all through life. Every question 
Did you fail as a parent? Are you failing as a parent? Did you fail as a spouse? What about those two previous marriages? What about this? What about that? The questions, they're nonstop. I want you to get inside the fact that this guy in eight or ten hours lives a picture of the life that human lives nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. And then finally, Jesus shows up. And he essentially asks the only question that matters. He asks the questions he would ask the disciple, disciples in Matthew 16. Who do men say that I am? Because he essentially encounters him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The four verses essentially ask one question. Who am I? Who am I? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, Lord? I'm him. Do you notice there was never any talk after that? Second principle. Worship is the only answer to the only question that matters. Worship is the only answer to the only question that matters. Now, my God visitation moment here this week. I, and this is um, really transparent. What sort of melted me is God speaking to my heart, very much like he'd speak to our hearts, but very pointedly he says, you're, you're, not, you're not embracing what I've told you over and over and over, year after year after year. If worship is the conversation the human soul is dying to have, who starts the conversation? God just whispered in my heart and said, how long are you and I going to wrestle with the fact that I've called you to be a conversation starter? I've called New Hope Church to be a conversation starter. You're going to see this showing up in print. See, because our mission and vision here is making God's opinion matter most. Well, it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. For God's opinion to matter most you have to hear it. You have to engage it. See, my, my heart just began to explode as I began to think, and I'm praying for a brand new and fresh anointing. Watch. Let me just pick one. When we, we come on this stage or uh, platform, and we begin to sing the songs like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. You see, what's happening here right now is we're not singing a song. I am going to wear our worship leaders out with understanding you're about to start a conversation. You're about to start a conversation. I am asking God to baptize us as a church. I don't want to be the only church, but I want to be one of them, where when people walk in, they're going to suddenly begin to hear a conversation they hadn't heard. See, what's the deal? Listen to me, listen to me. The fact is that blind man had heard this voice one other time earlier in the day. There's no record that he and Jesus had an extended encounter. The only thing that he heard Jesus say was, go wash in the pool of Siloam. I had a lot of fun with it the last time because there's no record that says Jesus even asked permission for him to put that bad breath mud on his eyes. 
There is no record of that. We can assume within the propriety and constraints of, of cultural exchange and that nuance that, may, that he did. We can assume that, but it's not there. The very first thing that happened was BAP. I am praying that people, when they encounter new Hopeites, when they, not just in this room, but as they encounter us in life, but when they do walk in this room, that suddenly they're going to come in and it's going to be like an ambush that same way, like boom, it hits him in the eye. All of a sudden, the voice that he was heard was go wash in the pool of Siloam. It would be 10 hours later before he ever heard that voice again. And that voice that, that was now attached to a face that he could see said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I don't know who he is, Lord. I believe when he spoke to him, he began to say, I, I think I know that. I think I know that voice. And when the exchange began to happen, I, I don't know, Lord, but I think I know that voice. Yes, you do. I'm him. Oh, my. What happens after that? He goes straight to worship, just like the woman at the well went straight to worship. I am praying for a baptism, for a revival, for a renewal in our church. I am praying that when people walk in, they will have that same jolting encounter of, 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 of without announcement, of having mud put on their eyes and, t- and they jump back and all of a sudden they begin to hear with greater clarity the echo of a voice they've been hearing their whole life. They just couldn't attach a face and a name to it. And when they walk into New Hope, he said, I can attach a name and a face. I've heard it. I've heard it all my life. I just never responded back. I want to enter the conversation. That is worship. That is worship. We get to invite them in. I don't know if I'm getting this across. But I'm just going to stop and I'm going to do the third thing. This is not slick. It's not good homiletical layout. Because at this point, for the last three days as I've been there, I haven't written a song in eight years. I wrote this song four days before. <laughs> okay, so the song says, So I will say to my soul, Do not be shaken. God alone, you're my rock, my sure foundation. Always been there, always will. Here comes the line. If I can wait on you, Lord, and just stand still. Now, here's the, good, here's the funny thing. I am a horrible waiter and stander stiller. Horrible. 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 I do not have a theology that think God flicked me with four herniated discs. But I do have a theology that says that God will take those moments and maximize them and call them to work together for his purpose. And here's what I do think that I found laughable amidst tears. In the middle of the night, you're going to think I'm insane. There were three nights when the pain was just, and people who have had this can tell you, I've had three rotator cuff surgeries because I don't learn quickly. They are supposed to be the most painful recovery. I've had a bad spinal tap, which is supposed to be like on the top of pain things, where I sat in a hallway, teeth grit, tears coming out of the corner of my eyes. 
for three nights. The nights are always horrible. There's a sermon there. Anybody get that? Okay. I am sitting there and I can't make myself stop groaning. So I pulled out the computer to find out about proprioception. It's a medical term. Why am I groaning? You see, I know you know I'm insane now. Because I'm thinking there's something here for Romans 8 that I need to capture right now that I won't ever get. Because see, Romans 8 says, all creation groans, we groan, Holy Spirit groans. I'm thinking, okay, at least I can distract myself. I mean, I could not make myself not go, "Mm," because it felt like there was a, probably a red hot piece of reinforcement bar shoved in my thigh all the way down to my foot. And nothing could stop it. And I'm thinking all of these things going on, and I'm having these tear laughing, crying moments, singing, I can wait on you, Lord, and just stand still. It is an amazing thing to me (laughs) how God would acquaint me with the very real dynamic of being able to stand still when he gives you no choice. When I can wait on you, Lord, and just stand, sit, be rolled still in a wheelchair, which is humiliating and I'm telling you, I'm, it has just been this most amazing thing. So what I want to tell you is I didn't write this song out of the deep despair of my own personal pain. I don't even think that way because, see, I know people sitting in this room have had my little snapshot of my pain is like, please, brother, you want to know about it, let me talk to you. I get that. I didn't write this song during that. I wrote this song right before it for another reason. You know, I, but God seized on this song. And so there's a, oh, Father, I just want to do exactly what you want me done. Want done. The, the verse says when you run out of hope and can't see tomorrow, the sun coming up only promises sorrow. I'll wait on you, Lord, and stand still. What I thought wouldn't last has become my forever. By the way, put your stuff down now. We're, we're done because we may be standing up in a second. What I thought wouldn't last has become my forever. I see no other chance. I've accepted the never. But I will wait on you, Lord, and stand still. And so then we sing Psalm 62. So I will say to my soul, do not be shaken. God alone, you're my rock, my sure foundation, always been there, always will. If I can wait on you, Lord, and just stand still in this little song came in my heart standing still here come and feel me as I wait your all I need Standing still here 
with the faith my eyes can't see. So the last thing I felt I was supposed to do this morning is I've said part one and part two and to end right here and say for those of you that are here I don't believe it's a majority and you feel stuck watch this (laughs) you want to know what happened on Tuesday I took stuck offered it as worship and God said I'll take your stuck and turn it into a weight and when you wait I show up I don't know if that means anything to you and so <laughs> my stuck was I am stuck Lord <laughs> no in this stillness Come and feel us as we wait your all we need. I wish, see, I do this in other places, mostly when I'm on the other side of the world. I don't know why. I sing over people, pray over them. It was, quote, sort of a first anointing before I ever had any sense of being called to preach the Word of God. And I really wish I can remember one time at a large conference a thing like this happened. I really wish I could just say, Amen, the Lord bless you and keep you. And now for the, for the few, the ones that feel right now, you are stuck. <laughs> God says, I'm going to translate your stuck to a weight and a weight to my presence. You're not stuck. Hell doesn't have the final word on where you are. It may have made you stuck, but you can take that stuck and turn it into a weight. And a weight turns into inviting me into that moment. I don't know if that makes any sense or if it just sounds convoluted. But I know there are people here this morning. Can we all stand up? I'm... I really, I don't apologize because I think I've done just about everything I was supposed to do. But I wish it would have been a more direct path to getting us. Uh, We're done. So Lord, don't bow your heads. I pray for your, your people that you would bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine mark them be gracious unto them lift your countenance upon them and give them peace I love you and I praise you I ask it in Jesus name now amen you can put your hands down and you're able, you can leave I would like without a lot of fanfare and don't anybody move just yet it's early okay I, I normally talk longer so you, you get an early out I want to somehow do something. 
And I really don't care how long we're here because you're able to leave, so I can't be blamed for keeping you. If you stay, it's your fault, not mine. <laughs> I, need, I need elders. I don't just want every elder token. I want elders who feel as though... Brenda, see if somebody can help you up around and get over here. I don't know if you need a seat. Here's what I want to do. I don't know if this will last five minutes or if it'll last two hours. But I want, look here, I want to impart humbly and gently an invitation to a conversation because Jesus has come here to find you where you thought you were stuck and where you were put out. And he's come to tell you, you're no longer the object of the conversation. I came to have one with you. I came to tell you that your stuck is not stuck. Your stuck is a weight. And when you wait on the Lord, I will renew your strength and mount up. I will renew you and mount up with wings like eagles. Run and not be weary. Does everyone get, have I gotten that across of turning a stuck into a weight? I, I don't know about you, but that just jazzes my soul. That we have the power to turn stuck into weight. And weight becomes that where God says, if you wait on the Lord, I will renew your strength. I will engage you in a conversation. I just want the opportunity to sing whatever little song is going on, the conversation to be invited in for you to come. I, I, I feel I got a living room picture to just stand around. I don't know how many people will be, but I want to make this into get rid of the big building and now we're in Tom's living room. I don't know if there's five or eight or 50, but I need elders with anointing oil and I need everyone to just come hang out, or anyone to just come hang and we're going to pray. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.